0: Who do you say Jesus Christ is? I see the good that he's done, but I see him more as like, um, like he was a real person, but I don't see him as kind of a, a god or anything. Messenger of God, son of God, yeah. From the culture I grew up, they say he's a prophet. Uh, so I think he should be probably, you know, you could learn a lot from him and, you know, be respected, something like that. Due to the natural non-divinity of normal people, I'm inclined to believe he was not divine. I think Jesus is who they say he is. He died on the cross for us. He did everything he could to shed his blood for us to live right. That's a good question. I mean, I was raised Catholic, but I actually haven't given it a lot of serious thought in a long time. So might be something I have to think about. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and the chance that we have to talk about your Son. We pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes and that you would soften our hearts and that you would help us to see with greater clarity than we ever have before who Jesus is and why that matters to us. I pray, Lord, that you would convict us here, that you would transform us and change us and help us to to love your son more and, and trust him more. Lord, I pray for faith. I pray that you would grow our faith, whether for the first time or, or for the thousandth time, Lord, that we would come to trust Jesus more completely with our lives. I pray that you would help us to believe that he truly is the way, the truth, and the life. I pray Lord God, that you would help us to love your son more and depend upon him more fully. And I pray that as, as we come to trust him more, God, I pray that, that you would help us to be passionate to tell other people about Jesus. I pray that his name would be on our lips and that it would be our ambition to make him famous and to spread his name everywhere we go and to everyone we meet. I pray, Lord, that you would re- use Grace Bible Church to reach thousands of people who don't yet know Jesus with the good news that He is the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you so much for your Son. In His name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to you parents who are joining us this week. It's great to have you. You're jumping in in the middle of our series. We're studying the seven I Am statements in the book of John. So seven times when Jesus said, I am something, and that something revealed who Jesus is. And our goal in this series is to try to answer that question. Who is Jesus? So we're going to look at the words of Jesus, because that's the best way to get to know somebody. You find out what they say about themselves. So this morning, we'll see what Jesus said about himself in John 14. So you can turn there, John 14. We'll hear about who Jesus is from himself, from his own words about himself. But before we get there, I want to try to answer a more fundamental question, and in a sense, ultimately, an even more important question. Why do you want to know who Jesus is? Why do you want to know who this man is who lived and died 2,000 years ago on the other side of the planet? Think about it. There's not a whole lot of other people from 2,000 years ago that you want to know about. There's like billions of people who have died in the history of the human race, and you don't care about knowing them. We, we don't have debates and write books about the other kids who grew up in the city of Nazareth around 0 AD. No, no one thinks about that. You, you don't care to know who Jesus's neighbors were when he was growing up. It doesn't matter to you. So why do you care about this particular man? Why do you want to know who he is? Why do you care about his identity? Well, the the answer is found in verse 1. Here's why we should care about the identity of this particular man. Verse 1, Jesus says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Do not let your heart be troubled. Troubled, it's, it's a word that describes anxiety or worry, or fear. So Jesus is saying, don't be worried, don't be afraid. And when he says, believe me, or believe God, that word believe, in this verse, it would better be translated trust. Trust me. So what Jesus is really saying to his disciples here in verse one is, there's no reason to be anxious or afraid, just trust me. Okay, well, let's, let's get into the background a little bit and ask ourselves, why are these guys feeling troubled? Why are they anxious. Why are they worried? Well, uh, this is the Last Supper. I don't know if you knew that about John 14. This is Jesus's last meal with his disciples before he departs. He's about to die and, and have the death, crucifixion, resurrection. Uh, so here in the Last Supper, as he speaks to these men, he's been with them three years up to this point. These men left everything to follow Jesus for three years. They left their homes, their families, their careers, everything to follow him and now things were about to change look a few verses earlier chapter 13 verse 33 Jesus said little children I am with you a little while longer you will seek me and as I said to the Jews now I also say to you where I'm going you cannot come everything's about to change Jesus is about to leave and go somewhere where they cannot follow him and so put yourself in their shoes they have left everything for him Homes, families, careers, friends, all things, they've left them all for him, and they've become enemies of the most powerful people in the nation. The leaders of the Jews now hate the disciples too. So they left everything to follow Jesus, and now Jesus says to them, hey guys, by the way, I'm out of here. I'm leaving, and where I'm going, you can't follow. And so if you want to know what are the disciples feeling in this moment, it is verse 1, troubled. They are feeling troubled in their hearts. I can imagine the disciples thinking to themselves, oh my gosh, what have I done? I left everything to follow this man and now he's going to leave me high and dry. He's out of here. My life is ruined. They have every reason to feel worried, to feel troubled, to feel anxious, and yet Jesus has the audacity to say to them, don't worry, guys, just trust me. If anyone other than Jesus said what Jesus says in verse one, he would deserve to be punched. You don't have people follow you, give up everything, and then tell them, I'm out of here and you can't come with me, but don't worry about it. So why is it okay for Jesus to say this? Why can he say to these men who gave up everything to follow him, whose lives are falling apart, why can he say to them, don't worry, just trust me? Well, that's ultimately why you want to know who Jesus is. It's not an academic question about some guy who lived 2,000 years ago. It's a deeply personal question because this particular man promised to be able to remove, to take away all of your fears, all of your anxieties, all of your troubles if you will just trust him. So, is it reasonable to trust him? Can he deliver on that promise? That's why we want to know who Jesus is. Because ultimately, what everyone wants in this world is to be delivered from anxiety and worry. I've been a pastor for a while now. I've come to the conviction that everyone 15 years old or older is troubled every day. It's like what I know about, it's actually, as a pastor, there's a curse in that I know a lot of people's secrets, but it is a blessing because I know factual evidence that everybody I'm looking at and everybody in this world is troubled. Troubled. I know that the young engaged couple who seem on top of the world has a whole lot of strife going on with their family and a whole lot of fear about the future. I know that the the young parents with beautiful kids and a wonderful house and an incredible job and a great vacation they post about on Facebook, I know what's going on behind closed doors. I know they're troubled. I know about the couple who just sent their kids off to college, they're retiring, they have a nest egg to enjoy, they're going out west. I know. I know. What's going on in their, in their bodies? Their bodies are breaking down. I know the fears that they have. I know the financial uncertainty. I know they're troubled. So what I know and what you just have to take on faith is that every person on the planet, 15 and up, is troubled every day. They are worried. They are afraid because we live in a troubled world in troubling times. There's terrorism, violence, racism, inequality, poverty, all kinds of fears out there. And there's fears in here. There's troubles in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our schools, in our churches. Everyone is troubled. And they can find relief from that trouble for a moment through entertainment or friendships or a hobby, but the relief always passes And they lay down to sleep at night and the trouble comes back. I know that about everyone on the planet. We are all troubled. We just want to find relief from the things that keep us awake at night. The fears, the worries, the anxieties that are endemic to the human race. And yet here is Jesus claiming to be able to deliver us from all of that. Claiming to be able to take away all the things that trouble us. All that weighs us down if we will just trust him. So how can Jesus claim to be able to take away all of our troubles? Well, we're going to find the answer in the next few verses. Let's pick it up in verse 2 and read through verse 6. Jesus says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be, and you know the way where I am going." Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Verse 6 is the money verse. It's the one you want to memorize. That's the I am statement here. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, of those three nouns, way is the most important because that's what Thomas just asked for. He wanted a way to get to where Jesus is going, and Jesus says, I am the way. Now, let's think for a moment about this dialogue between Thomas and Jesus. What is Thomas asking for? Well, ultimately, Thomas wants a map. He wants a map that will show him how to get to where Jesus is going, how to get to the good life, how to get to where he wants to go in life. Thomas wants a map. Jesus isn't interested in giving him a map. Jesus is going to give him something radically different. What? A person. Jesus gives him himself. It reminds me of a trip Julie and I took a number of years ago to Europe when we didn't have kids and could do that kind of thing. Um, We went to Europe to visit some of our church's missionaries, and we stopped over, spent some time in Italy and some time in Spain. I'd never been to either of those countries. But that's exciting to me because I'm a map guy. I love maps. It appeals to the engineer in me. So I get all these maps, and I'm studying them so I understand the cities we're going to be in and mass transit and how to get around. and, And that works okay. When I go overseas to a place I don't know, I can kind of find my way on a map. But we arrived in Spain and we were given something better than a map. We were given a guy named Jerry Parkerson. One of Grace's longest standing missionaries. has been a missionary for 40 or 50 years. He'd been in Spain for decades. He knew the language. He knew the culture. He knew the city like the back of his hand. He knew not only all of the written rules, but all those unwritten rules. Like when you don't go down that street at a certain time of day because you're going to get stuck. Or when they're going to do construction over here. He knew everything. And so with Jerry, we could get around Spain in a heartbeat just really quickly. It was really easy. It's so much better than a map. Spain worked well for me because I didn't have a map. I had a person. And that's ultimately what Jesus is offering to Thomas. Thomas wants a map. Jesus gives him a person. No, you got me. I'll take you everywhere you want to go because I am the way. And that ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, is what makes Christianity different from every other religion. I want you just to pause and think about this for a moment. Every other religion on earth offers you a map. They offer you a map that will tell you how to get through life well and how to get to whatever place is coming next, heaven or nirvana or whatever it is. They offer you a map. So Islam gives you the five pillars. Hinduism gives you the noble path. Judaism gives you the law. The maps vary, but the procedure's the same. Follow the map. Do what it says and you will get to where you want to go. But Christianity is radically different, completely different from every other religion mankind has ever thought of because Christianity doesn't give you a map. It gives you a person. Christianity is not a map to follow. It is a person to trust. Jesus did not say to Thomas, I will show you the way. He said to Thomas, I am the way. Stick with me and you'll get everywhere you want to go. Jesus is the way to the life you want to have now and forever. And so that's the dominant idea here. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, I am the way, not I'll show you the way, I am the way to truth, to life, and to the Father. And we'll spend the rest of the morning looking at those three things. Jesus as the way to truth, to life, and to the Father's house. So Jesus tells his disciples first, I am the way to truth. Now, let's, let's be honest with this for a minute. How can Jesus say I am the way to truth as if he's the only way to truth? There's a lot of ways to truth in this world. Let's say you want to know about Abraham Lincoln. You've got a lot of different ways that you can discover truth about Abraham Lincoln. You can go look him up on Wikipedia, go to the library, watch a PBS documentary, sign up for a history class at A&M. Lots of ways to discover truth about Abraham Lincoln. Our world is very good at discovering that kind of truth. But that's not the kind of truth Jesus is talking about here. That's, that's truth about science and history and facts and figures and statistics and economics. And, and those are important truths, but those are not the kind of truths that you really need in life, are they? Because if you go from here and you look up Abraham Lincoln and study him all day long, it's not going to help you sleep better at night it's not going to take away your worry or your anxiety or your fear. Our world is really good at discovering truths, but not the truths that really matter. The truth that you really care about is truth about existence and God and love and life and death and good and evil. And our world is awful at discovering truth about that kind of stuff. Sure, everybody's got an opinion about God and love and good and evil, but no one has absolute truth because you cannot test God or love or good or evil in a test tube. You can't point a telescope at them and figure them out. No, you, you point the most powerful telescope we have at death and you can't see beyond it. Our telescopes are great at telling us where a star is, but who cares about that? That's not gonna change your life. The things you really want to know, humanity cannot discover on our own. We are limited in our ability to discover the truth that really matters to us. Fortunately, Jesus is not. He is not limited like we are. He is able to reveal to us the truths that we really care about. Truth about God, truth about existence, about love, life, death, good, evil. He can reveal that. Why? How is it that Jesus can reveal the truths that really matter? Well, John tells us towards the beginning of the book, John chapter 1, he talks about Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Now that word word in john it's logos in greek it means communication or declaration in spoken or written form and what john is saying is that jesus is the declaration of god to you jesus is god's speech to you is god's speech wrapped up in human flesh he came to reveal the communication, the declaration of God to us. John goes on later in the chapter, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. We, we humans, we can't discover the truths that really matter to us, like discovering who God is and, and what he can do and what he's about. And so God, in grace, he sent his Son He sent the Word. He sent Jesus so that when we look at Jesus, we see the face of the Father. When you're looking at Jesus, you are seeing the truth of God, the truth of life, the truth of love, the truth of existence in the face of Christ. And so what we need to understand, let's go back and modify our first statement. When Jesus says, I am the way to truth, it's because he is the truth. So Jesus is not a professor teaching you truth. Jesus is the truth. To know Jesus is to know absolute truth about everything that matters in your life. If you have Jesus, you have the truth. Okay, so Jesus is the one and only way to the truth because he is the truth. He is God's truth incarnate, wrapped in human flesh. So, he is the truth. Second, Jesus says, I am the way to life. Now, that should be important to us because we, as a species, spend an incredible amount of money trying to extend our lives. Incredible amount of money on healthcare. Two weeks ago, it was Easter, I preached to you guys, and then I went home and I was changing in the closet and a vase up on a shelf broke. I don't know why, I guess it got knocked by something and half of it fell into my foot. And so um, Julie had to rush me to the emergency room because I was bleeding everywhere. Had to get a lot of stitches. So as we're rushing out, her mom rushed over to watch the kids because you can't just like leave them alone. Even if you're going to the ER, they don't understand that. So she comes over and she's watching them and we're off at the ER, but she tripped and fell. And so as we got home from the ER, Julie's dad showed up to take her mom to the same ER, to the same doctor because her foot was broken. So... I am really glad that we live next to such excellent health care, but I am really sad about how much wealth the Jennings and Nyman families lost on that day because ER visits are expensive. We as a nation, we spend so much money trying to extend our lives. Let's see what the figures are. I believe it's $3.2 trillion that we, just America, spent on health care just last year. Just to put that in perspective, I don't know if you've ever seen the numbers. Americans spent $10,000 per person, man, woman, and child, in America on health care last year. That's the kind of money we spend to extend our lives. And yet, sadly, death always wins. You may get a few more days, a few more months, a few more years. But death always wins in the end. That's an unavoidable law of the universe we live in. Every atom, every molecule in this universe is spinning towards decay. It's a law of entropy. Everything is moving towards oblivion. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't stop death. You can't create life. But Jesus can. Jesus can. John talks about that again in John chapter 1. He says, He, that is Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life and the life was the light of men. What John is saying is that when you open your Bibles to the beginning and you read Genesis chapter 1, that's Jesus. Jesus is there in Genesis 1. He's the one doing all the stuff. He is the one acting. Everything that has been created was created through Jesus. He is the author of all matter, of all energy, of all life. He has life in himself. He's the source, the author of life. And so that's why in the passage we stated a couple weeks ago, when Martha is talking to Jesus, Jesus can say, I am the resurrection and the life her brother had just died. Jesus doesn't say, I can resurrect your brother. He says, I am the resurrection. To have Jesus is to have resurrection. To have Jesus is to have life. That's why it tells us in Acts chapter 2, after Jesus dies and is buried, it says it was impossible for him to be held in the power of death. That's why Jesus rose from the dead. Because it was impossible for him to stay in the grave. Jesus is the author of life. When death and Jesus go toe to toe, death loses all the time. Jesus is out of its league. It cannot hold life down. And so the resurrection was a necessity. There was no way death was going to win. I just laugh every time I think about that. Death crucifying Jesus, the Lord of life. It had about three days when it thought it won the battle. But it was never going to win. There was no possible way it could win. It was logically impossible for death to hold down the author of life. And so Jesus rose from the dead because he must. Because he is life incarnate. And so let's go back and modify our statement again. When Jesus says, I am the way to life, it's because I am the life. Jesus is life wrapped in human flesh. To have Jesus is to have life. To have Jesus is to have eternal life because he is eternal life. So Jesus is not an instruction manual for you about how to find a good life. He is life. He's not here to improve your life. He's here to give you life. To have Jesus is to have life. That's the second thing he wants you to understand about himself. Third, Jesus is saying, I am the way to God. Jesus is the way to truth. He's the way to life. He is the way to God. He talks about that some in verse 2. Look at verse 2. He says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. My Father's house, uh, when Jesus says, My Father's house, we know from John chapter 1, Jesus' Father is God the Father. and, And the Father's house is where the Father dwells. That's heaven. And so Jesus is saying, I'm getting ready to go back to heaven. Jesus had come from heaven on that first Christmas when when he was incarnate in the Virgin Mary. He came to earth to live for us and then he died. He rose from the dead and 40 days later he ascended back into heaven. But what's really interesting to me in this verse is what Jesus tells us about the Father's house, about heaven. He in my Father's house are many rooms Unfortunately, the King James Version, years ago, it mistranslated that word. So it, it read, there are many mansions. And people used to sing hymns about mansions of glory and get excited about the mansion. They'll get, no, 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 it's not mansions. God's not going to give you some big house that you live in alone for eternity. It's actually not what you want. No, it's one house, the Father's really big mansion. And the point is, there's so many rooms. It's so big that there's room for all of us to live together. What Jesus is getting at, he's not talking about a house, he's talking about a family. When you get to heaven, you will finally have the family that you always wanted. You will be in a family with all of us, with God the Father. It will be a family where there is never strife, there is never deception, no one hurts anyone else's feelings, no one ever abandons anyone else. There's none of that stuff. There is only perfect, unconditional love forever. That's what you'll have in eternity. And so in other words, in eternity, you will never feel lonely again. You will never feel abandoned. You will never feel neglected. You will finally have the perfect family of unconditional love that you've always wanted. And and everybody wants that. I promise you, everybody. Even the really big, burly man who's all tatted up riding a Harley. What he really wants at the end of the day is to know that his mom and dad love him. I promise you, I'm not joking. That's what we all want in our heart of hearts is a family to belong to where we know we are loved. And that's Jesus' point. That's what you're getting in the next life. One great, grand, perfect family where you will know without doubt that you are loved and valued and cared for. That's what's coming when Jesus takes us to the Father's house. And that's the the next thing that Jesus wants us to understand. How do you get to the Father's house? Verse 3 If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. Jesus' point is, I have to take you there. That's why he said earlier, the only way to the Father's house is through me, because Jesus has to take you there. There's no map to the Father's house, you have to go with a person. It's like Peter Pan, if you remember the story or the movie or the book or whatever you first encountered Peter Pan. You recall Wendy went to Never Neverland, but she did not go of her own initiative. She didn't go find a fast car or a nice airplane or a helicopter to go to Never. No, because Never Neverland is like in the stars. There's no way for Wendy to get there, even if somebody drew her a map. It was with, it was completely outside of her power to get there. What had to happen? Tink had to show up and sprinkle her with that like magic powder stuff and take her there herself. That's how it is with Christianity. There's no map to get you to heaven. Jesus has to take you there. You can't get there on your own. So Jesus has promised he will show up and take us there. That's why the only way to the Father is through the Son. Now for lots of people, that is a highly offensive thing to say. When Jesus says, you cannot get to the Father but through me, our world finds that incredibly offensive. They cannot contemplate that God would actually say, the only way to me is to come through Jesus. Most people don't think that's true. Actually, here in America, 2008 Pew survey, 75% of Americans just assume that there are multiple ways to God. Just pick your own path, pick your own adventure, whatever you want. Follow the instructions, we'll all meet up in the end. That's what people assume, but that's not truth. Jesus is absolutely clear. There's only one way to the Father, through me. You've got to trust me to get you there. Lots of people find that offensive, but the fact that we find it offensive doesn't change the fact that it's true. You may want it not to be true, but that doesn't make it not true. Two plus two is always four, whether you want it to be or not. Jesus is absolutely crystal clear. There is only one way to the Father's house, and that's through me. But that truth shouldn't really surprise us. Because remember what we said at the beginning, the fundamental difference between Christianity and every other religion. Every other religion known to mankind offers you a map. Follow the map. Do the good stuff it says to do. Avoid the bad stuff it says don't do. And you'll get there. Christianity is completely different. It says there is no map because you can't get there on your own. Christianity gives you a person. It gives you Jesus it says, if you are with Jesus, he will get you there. He will take you to heaven. Now, why is it that Jesus can take you to the Father's house? Well, let's finish the phrase. I am the way to God because I am God. Jesus can get you to the Father's house because Jesus is God in human flesh. if you want to prove that, if somebody asks you, how do you know that Jesus is God? How do you know that he claimed to be God? Maybe people made that up later. Key verse, John 8. John 8, verse 58, that's where you want to take people. It's the end of John 8, so you don't even have to remember the second number. Just end of John 8, the Jews ask Jesus, who are you? Who do you say that you are? And Jesus responds to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus. So right off the bat, Jesus is claiming pre-existence, which is more than what we get as humans. He's saying, before Abraham was on earth, I already existed. But what Jesus really wants to hit you with is that weird grammar at the end of the verse. It's bad grammar. Do you notice that? So what's the proper verb there? Before Abraham was born, I was, because it's past tense. That's correct grammar. Jesus violates the rules of grammar. Why? Why does he do that? Because I am is not a phrase. It's a name. I am in Hebrew is Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God in the Old Testament. The Jews did not have any doubt about what Jesus was saying. He's saying before Abraham was born, Yahweh. I am your God. Jesus is claiming to be the God of Israel, the creator, the almighty sovereign, the one and only. So Jesus claims to be God. That's why he can get us to God, because he is God in human flesh, He can take us home to God because He is God. Now, He tells us in verses 2 and 3 that He's going to prepare a place for us. He's going to prepare a way for us to get to the Father's house. How did Jesus do that? How did He prepare this way so that we could get to the Father's house? Well, think about what happens next in the book of John. So, where are you? Your Last Supper. So, Jesus is going to go next to the Garden of Gethsemane where He'll be arrested. And then He'll be tried, He'll be found guilty, He'll be beaten and he'll be crucified. We're less than 24 hours away from the crucifixion here in John 14. He'll be crucified, and then he'll rise from the dead, defeating sin and death and ascend to heaven. That's how he prepared a way for you. The life died. You see the irony of that? The life died. Why? Because that was how death would be defeated. That's why death couldn't hold him down. The life died so that he could turn death around, so that death can't hold any of us so that we can follow Jesus to the Father's house. He defeated death for you so that you can live with God for eternity. That's the point of the death and resurrection of Jesus. He defeated your enemies, sin, death, and Satan so that you can follow him to the Father's house. So Jesus is life for you. He is the way to God for you. He's prepared a place and now he's coming back. That's what he promises in verse three. I'm gonna come back for you. Jesus has not abandoned us. Jesus has not left us alone. He's coming back. That's the next great event in human history. Next big thing, biblically, that's going to happen is Jesus is going to come back for us and take us home to be with him. And so, when you think about your life here on earth, biblically speaking, basically, you are a POW right now. You're a prisoner of war, stranded in enemy territory. You're enslaved in a world full of evil and pain and suffering and lots of bad stuff. But... Jesus has promised, the cavalry's coming. He's coming for you and he will deliver you. That's why you have hope, because you know he's not left you alone. He's coming soon to take you home. And that's, that's what's going to happen when you die. You're going to go home to be with Jesus in the Father's house. And so as we look at, at Jesus, at what he claims about himself, what Jesus wants you to know about him is that he is the way to truth because he is the truth. It's not a teacher of truth. He is truth incarnate. And he is the way to life because he is life in human flesh. And he's the way to God because he is God. But what do you do with that truth? So far, a lot of what we've done this morning is theological. It's academic. What should you do with that truth in your own life? How do you apply it? Well, it's very simple. Verse 1, trust. Trust Jesus. That's the unavoidable application from this passage. Jesus wants you to trust him. Now, for some of you, that means trusting him for the very first time. Jesus is calling you to believe that he is who he said he was, that he is the truth, that he is the life, that he can lead you to the Father's house because he is the Son of God who died for you and rose from the dead so that you could have eternal life as a free gift. Some of you need to believe that, You need to receive that gift from Jesus and say, I I believe you are God who died for me and rose from the dead so I could live. Now, some of you out there, you're not yet believing that because it just seems too hard to believe. It's just, man, that is is hard. To stretch your mind far enough to actually believe that Jesus is God's Son who rose from the dead. If that's you, if you just can't seem to muster enough faith to believe, I'm going to challenge you to read the evidence for the resurrection. Now, those of you who were here last week, you're thinking, man, he sounds like a broken record. He brings up that stuff all the time. Well, in the last week, nothing has changed. Uh, if you want to know that Jesus is God's son, the best evidence is still and will always be the fact that he rose from the dead. And fortunately, there's a ton of historical evidence backing that up. Because if you believe, if you know, if you're convinced that Jesus walked out of the grave, then that changes everything. That's it. Ball game all of this book is true if that man came out of the tomb. And so if I can get you to look at the evidence and see that historically it's actually reasonable to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead, then I can get you to look at Christianity for real. And so I'm going to challenge you if you've not looked at the evidence already, go to our website, click on resources Click on facts. Frequently asked questions and it's listed. How do we know that Jesus rose from the dead? Please look at that article. It's five reasons from history. Verifiable history. Why we believe Jesus really did walk out of the tomb on that first Easter morning. So please look at that, consider the evidence, and then come talk to me. I I really, I would love to talk to you. I, I would prefer that to anything else I do in my job. I'd love to sit down with you and have coffee and talk about your doubts, your objections to Christianity. I won't judge you for that. I want to hear it. I just want to talk with you about what we believe and and why I think it's reasonable to believe in Jesus. for Some of you, you need to believe in Jesus, trust him for the first time. But what about those of us who have trusted Jesus for eternal life? Well, we need to learn to trust Jesus to be our truth. I mean that on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. If you want to have what Jesus offers in verse 1, do not let your heart be troubled. You want your heart to not be troubled? You want to have freedom from anxiety and fear and worry? Then you got to trust Jesus to be your truth. Here's what I mean by that. I've discovered that every time I feel worried or fearful or anxious, there is always a lie behind it. It's always, always true. If I'm feeling anxious or afraid about something in the future, there's always some lie that I have received from the world that I have embraced as true, even if it's unconscious, a lie that's rolling around in my brain as I lay on my bed at night and is keeping me up because it's generating, it's creating anxiety, it's creating fear. If you are a believer and you feel fear about the future, you can know that's not from God. That's a lie. God never wants you to feel fear about the future if you know his son. So if you feel fear and worry and anxiety, that's not God, that's Satan. That's a lie. And you need to see the lie for what it is and then fight it with truth. So I'll give you a few examples. So if what's keeping you up at night is that you believe that your life won't be complete without a spouse and kids you just feel like your value, you won't really be significant, you won't be obeying God, you won't be all God wants you to be, you won't be all the world expects you to be if you're not married and have kids, and that's keeping you up because you're not married, you don't have kids yet, and you feel anxious about that, you feel worried about that. Well, you need to know that's a lie. Jesus is clear about that, Matthew 19. He honors singleness. It's every bit as good, honored, and pure as marriage. Every bit is valuable in God's eyes. Paul says the same in 1 Corinthians 7. There is no advantage to marriage or parenting compared to singleness. Everything is a gift from God. Embrace it as a gift. And so you need to recognize that lie and fight back against it. You need to identify, no, that's a lie in my head. I need to remember truth. I am just as valuable and loved and useful to God in my single state as any married person out there. And in fact, getting married and having kids will not add an ounce of value or significance to my life that it doesn't already have. Now, maybe some of you are having the complete opposite anxiety. You are married, and you have kids, and now you can't sleep because you're afraid you screwed them up. That, welcome to my life. That's, that is life for parents. We didn't have the greatest day. Got mad at our kids or did something dumb and you lay there awake because you have this anxiety, this worry that you've messed up your kids, now their life isn't going to work out right. You're afraid of everything that's coming in the future and maybe you haven't prepared them well enough. You haven't been a good enough parent and that's worrying you. It's keeping you up. Well, you need to recognize that's a lie. That's a lie. Is it possible for you as a human to screw up your kids beyond what God can fix? No. Who loves your kids more, you or God? God. You're not even the most important person in your kid's life. God is. He loves them more than you, and he's sovereign. And he said in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, I will work all things for good for those who love me. You have not screwed up your kids because they're God's kids, and he's more powerful than you. He's sovereign. He's loving. He's good. He knows everything in the future. He's got your kids. It's gonna be okay. So you need to recognize that lie and then fight it with truth. And so let's get practical for a moment. How do you fight lies with truth? Well, you got to know the truth. You, You just, by logic, you cannot fight lies if you don't know the truth. And so since we're talking about Jesus and the fact that he is our truth, I'm just going to get in your business for a minute. Have you read the books about Jesus? That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four Gospels. Have you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? Have you read them in the last four years? So we we actually, we all need to be, I'm I'm a pastor, went to seminary, I had classes on them. I still have to read them all four, all four of them at least every four years because this is my source material. This is how I fight lies. It's not some other book I can read, not some show I can watch. This is it. I have to have this embedded in my brain. And so if you have not read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in the last four years, all of them, that's your homework. You've got to do that. I'm not giving you that as like a guilt thing. I'm telling you your life won't work if you don't read the words of Jesus. You need to look at Jesus, look at what he said, look at what he did, because that is truth incarnate. When you're looking at Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you are looking at the face of God. You are looking at absolute truth. So you've got to spend time in the truth. So read those books if you haven't already in the last four years. So trust Jesus to be your truth on a daily basis. When you feel worried, when you feel anxious, find the lie, fight it with truth. Third, so third thing on this list, trust Jesus to be your life. What I mean by this is you just need to have that moment where you recognize that all of your diets and your doctors and your diligence at the gym, none of it's going to cheat death. You may have a better quality of life. You may get a little longer life, but death will win in the end. We will all die, but that's okay. That's okay because Jesus said, I I am the life. If you have me, you have eternal life, and so you need not fear death. Death is not something you need to be afraid of, That may sound crazy to you because our world cannot understand that. Death is like the thing everybody fears above all else. But if you know Jesus, then where are you going after this life? You're going home. That's death for you. To die is to go home. You get to go home to the Father's house and it's awesome. It's got a lot of rooms, plenty of room for you. You get to go to your family where you will be nothing but loved forever. And so as followers of Jesus, death does not need to be a source of fear for us. As we see our lives shortening, as we face our mortality more and more every day, just remind us, it's okay. This is how it works. I'm getting closer to going home. Realize this life is POW life. The life you really want, the life of freedom and deliverance, that's the next life. Death is how you get there. Jesus is coming back for you. He's going to call you home. It's going to be okay. This life is still a gift. Live it with Jesus as long as you have it, but don't fear what's coming next because Jesus has already told you, if you got me, it's all going to work out. Your best days are in front of you. Death is nothing to fear. If you know Jesus, then you have life and you have truth and you're going to end up in the Father's house forever. And there's nothing anybody can do to take that away. Jesus offers all of that to you as a free gift if you'll simply trust him. So I want us to go to the Lord and spend a, a moment in prayer. And I'd ask you, if you already have trusted Jesus, if you've trusted him for eternal life, would you please take this moment to pray for those in the room who haven't? Statistically, there's always some people in our midst who, who haven't gotten to that point yet where, they, where they're willing yet to believe that Jesus really died for Him and rose from the dead to give Him eternal life as a gift. If you believe, pray that they would believe. Pray that God would help them to see the truth of Jesus. And then let's pray for those out in the world, in our neighborhoods, in our classes who don't know Jesus yet, that they would come to trust him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. We praise you, Lord, that you did not hand us a map to try to work our way to truth or to life or to your house through our best efforts. We confess if you would have given us a map, we would have failed. We fail every time we're told what we must do. We can't live up to to your perfection. And so we praise you that rather than giving us a map, you gave us a person. You gave us your son, Jesus. We praise you that the truth took on human flesh, that life became incarnate so that he could die for us. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to suffer and face death in our place so that death could be made powerless. We praise you that you defeated it We praise you that you are life itself. And we thank you that you now offer your life to us as a free gift. Thank you that all we must do is trust you. Don't have to go work for it. Don't have to earn it. Don't have to come to church for it. Thank you that it's a gift. We pray, Lord, for anyone here this morning who hasn't yet received that gift. Please, Lord, help them to see it. Help them to believe. Help them to trust that Jesus really did die for them and rose from the dead so that they could have eternal life as a gift. We pray that you would win them into your family today. And we pray, Lord, for those in our classes, in our neighborhoods, and at our work who don't yet know Jesus. We pray that you would win them too. We pray that you would open their eyes to see and believe that Jesus really is who he said he is. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us courage and boldness. Help us to grieve over the lostness of people who don't yet know Jesus. Help us to see and believe that they they don't yet have truth, they don't have life, they don't have hope, they don't have joy. I pray that you would break our hearts for those who don't yet have Jesus and that that breaking of our hearts would motivate us and move us to speak out in courage and boldness. Please help us to take take risks this week to talk about Jesus with our classmates, our co-workers, our friends, our family, anyone who will listen. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would use us, your family, right here Grace Bible Church. We pray that you would use us to reach tens of thousands of people with the gospel so that your family would grow. We praise you that there are many rooms in your house, Father, that there's enough room for everyone. Please draw more and more to yourself through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.